0: The tongue is not just a little matter. Consider a few samples. Solomon wrote in Proverbs 12, verse 17, He that speaketh truth showeth forth righteousness. But, and if I could add, on the other hand, a false witness, deceit. There is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is health, the lip of truth shall be established forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. In Proverbs twelve twenty two, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but they that deal truly are his delight. Proverbs 15, 1, a soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. The tongue of the wise useth knowledge aright, but the mouth of fools poureth out foolishness. That's just a small sample. Unquestionably, what we say can have exceeding damaging results or very good results. And the decision is mine and yours. Solomon's father, King David, also dealt with the damaging talk of others. David said in Psalm 64, verse 2, Hide me from the secret counsel of the wicked, from the insurrection of the workers of iniquity who wet their tongue like a sword and bend their bows to shoot their arrows even bitter words that they may shoot in secret at the perfect. Suddenly do they shoot at him and fear not they encourage themselves in an evil matter they commune of lying snares privately and say who shall see them. In, in all of this, we need to notice that what is said privately has far-reaching results just as well as that which is spoken publicly. Do you think that what people say has an effect on the church? Oh, yes, it does. Yes, as much as what David, Solomon, and James dealt with. The late Vance Havner said, The church has never been threatened as much by woodpeckers on the outside as by termites on the inside. The problem with termites is they're so quiet and nice about it. (laughs) James knew his audience here, as we just read a few moments ago. After all, he had been the pastor of First Christian Church in Jerusalem for many years. Probably some who received this epistle had been in James' congregation back in Jerusalem. (coughs) In James 3, he points out to them and to us, of course, that the tongue has, number one, power to direct, verses 1 through 4. That's what we'll be looking at today. Next week, we'll be looking at power to destroy. And then the week after, power to delight. Today we'll focus on the first aspect of what James emphasized in the third chapter. The tongue has power to direct. And he uses two illustrations, being a good preacher, in verses 3 and 4. So we'll look at these two verses before we go back to verses 1 and 2. Illustration number one is in verse 3. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths that they may obey us and we turn about their whole body (laughs) most of us here in Montana are quite familiar with this illustration aren't we some of you own horses we understand that without a means of controlling a horse he grows cantankerous and sometimes out of control I know that I had a horse when I was younger I named him badger Anyway, if I didn't ride him regularly, he became cantankerous. I had to really, really come down on him hard, and he would then obey. And for some reason, I like to hack more better than a bit, but you know, a bit is a better device. It really is. A horse out of control is not simply without worth. It is dangerous. You know that, and I know that. And if it's left to its own ways, well... Bust corrals, knock down fences, and take other stock out with it. Isn't that how it is in some churches? A person is not willing to yield control of his or her tongue, and before you know it, they're busting down the walls and leading others to Satan's wilderness out there. How big is a bit? You guys know how big a bit is. What's it weigh? A pound and a half, two pounds. The, in James 3 5, it, James says, so the tongue is a little member. It is little in comparison to a whole church body, if you will. The bit has power to direct a thousand or a twelve hundred pound horse. So, the tongue can u- be used of God to direct a huge body of believers in the right direction if it's yielded to the Lord. If it's yielded to the Lord. How about your tongue or my tongue? Is it controlled like a bit controls a horse? In your home? At work? At church? Let's look at the second illustration. I thought about alliterations, and I I didn't get it very good. You know, rudders, rigging, and Roman galleys. Anyway, I thought of clippers and tankers, trawlers and cruisers, destroyers, even aircraft carriers, but... Nothing seemed to work well for an alliteration. So, the brethren that James wrote to were very familiar with watercraft and vessels in their day. Many were fishermen. Many would have sailed in the Mediterranean Sea or the Sea of Galilee. Maybe even the Dead Sea. The Roman Empire of James' day had about 300 Roman galleys or warships in the Roman Navy. Each could carry 100 fighting men, catapults, and had four and five banks of oarsmen. Many of them measured 500 tons, or more. They were high-sided, with two or three large masts. In the stern was one helm, or rudder, about the size of a few of our tables back in the corner. That is pretty small compared to the size of that ship. That little rudder which weighed a fraction of the 500 ton vessel could be turned by one man. And that would change the course of the whole ship. It would make it where the sails were full and moving the ship at a good clip or where the sails were limp and spilling the wind... To slow down, the helm could direct the ship into good currents, or avoid shoals or reefs, or sandbars or rocks, or, yes, shipwreck. James is talking about that's the potential of the human tongue is shipwreck few of these ancient ships have been found. Many were shipwrecked in the Mediterranean. Why? Well, there could be several reasons, including war, but often it was a misguided rudder, dear friend. How many churches... Well, we could think back to Exxon Valdez in, up in Alaska. That was in most of our lifetime. And the pilot of that ship was drunk and he misguided that ship so you get the picture how many churches have been shipwrecked because of a misguided word there have been many a tongue that is not controlled by the perfect divine helmsman helmsman would be God that would be God that can if it's not guided that way by God it is there's potential for shipwreck. I trust that all of us are already considering our hearts in all of this. The importance of the Holy Spirit-controlled speech. That's why I titled this Spirit-controlled speech, part one. I hope that we all get it with James' two illustrations in verses three and four. But what was he using these illustrations for? Well, we understand to show us that the tongue has power to direct a big body or a big ship. Now, verses 1 and 2 again. My brethren, be not many masters, I'm sorry, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation, for in many things we offend all. If a man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man and able to also bridle the whole body. There were problems that James had to address that he noted among the brethren that were scattered abroad as he was writing to them. Verse 1 of chapter 1 tells us that too many of them wanted to be teachers. Too many of them. The word translated master in verse 1 is the Greek word didaskalos, which means instructor or teacher or even a doctor. Now, that is not a problem that most churches face. It's hard to find enough Sunday school teachers. Wouldn't it be cool if we had to say, maybe you can teach next quarter? Wouldn't that be cool? it would but in that particular setting James was writing to those who wanted to all be the leaders in the church and the teachers and many of the brethren Jewish Christians wanted to be teachers why because they liked extra work I don't think so because their wives told them to because they saw the need I don't know but because they liked the recognition, authority, popularity, and the title master? Most likely. That's what James was writing about. James many times... Let me back up. Jesus many times received this recognition when others recognized his superior teaching and called him master or teacher or rabboni, remember, or doctor. And he deserved it. By the way, doctor was... Didaskalos. James pointed out to these seeking self-recognition that along with teaching comes a great deal of responsibility. It's not just a ho-hum, who cares what you say position to be in. In fact, in verse 1, he says that the teacher in the church faces a higher scrutiny or judgment before God. I don't know if you noticed that. the greater condemnation, there is an accountability before God for those who teach the word of God. And now notice in verse 2, James includes himself. He uses the pronoun we. For in many things we offend all, he said. Even James indicates that every word must be weighed. We must weigh every word we say that God is not mocked at all, that we do not offend God's people or harm his name or the church or speak wrongly about his word. The word offend is teyo meaning stumble or slip up. Here, life, wrote Lord Fisher, life is strewn with orange peel. (laughs) We may use the term banana peels, you know. We can eat Every one of us slip up in our speech. We can. And that's why James wrote, we, many of us, offend all. We can slip up in our speech, but we best be very careful that we do not. That we don't. Never teach a false gospel. Never teach anything false. Galatians 1, verses 6 through 9, we even looked at that in Sunday school this morning, is a very clear passage written by the Apostle Paul about those who teach another gospel. They'll face God's judgment for that. So we need to be careful with our tongue that way. And I don't have a concern that way among our church, but let's always be paying attention. never Here's another one. Never cause a child to be offended or doubt Jesus. In Matthew 18... The 6th verse, Jesus tells them it's better that a millstone were hanged about a person's neck that does that and they were cast into the depths of the sea never offend with our speech a young believer or even a little child never speak perverse or crude or shady things Let's leave the bedroom, talk in the bedroom. Leave the bathroom, talk in the bathroom. Never offend in word or in deed. Jesus said in Luke 6, verse 45, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. And so, we come back full circle to the end of verse 2, which says, If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. The tongue has power to direct. And next week, we'll see that the, a little further that the tongue has power to destroy. But for today, we must all realize that it's mingled with grace, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, we all need to be saved. We all need salvation. None of us can save ourselves. None of us can have a right heart and mind to control our, to let God control our speech as we ought to without having first received him into our lives, receiving him as our Savior. One of the verses that's meant a lot... To me is Romans 5 verse 8, but God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And the one that God used the day that I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, that evening, that is, is Romans 10 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Maybe there's someone here today that needs to make that decision their own and make it personal. I'll give you an opportunity in just a moment to do that. And I challenge you, if you haven't, if you're not sure, if you're not sure, make sure today. For those of us who are here today, If we're saved, and I believe most are, and what you say is not always spirit-controlled speech, you can make those changes before God today. You can commit that to him. Commit your tongue to him, your mouth to him, your words to him. I need to. And you can make changes before God and start with confession. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. First John 1:9. And then we can commit our mouths to Christ, today, tomorrow and each day. I'd like to ask everyone to bow their heads and close their eyes. The first question I have is, "Are you saved? Are you absolutely positively sure? that if you were to die this evening, or today, that you would immediately be in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ? If you're not absolutely sure of that, I challenge you to make sure, would you please slip up your hand, and I will talk with you one-on-one in a little while. Is there anyone here? The second question I have is, for those of us who are saved... Maybe there is a matter with our speech that needs to be given to the Lord. And you want me to pray. I'll just pray in a general way, not publicly, but privately. And you want me to be included in that. Would you please slip up your hand and I will commit to pray for you, okay? Anyone else, okay? Heavenly Father, I do thank you that you know everything about us. It may scare us, but it also ought to be that which you use to guide and control us. May we be those who commit our speech to you, that our tongue would not be offensive, but honoring and glorifying to you. Heavenly Father, I ask you too that we would yield our Mouths and our words to the Holy Spirit of God every day and every night. And Father, I ask you that you'd work in our church family and grow us closer together and closer especially to you in the grace that you've bestowed upon us. I pray in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. I'd like to ask everyone to stand as we close in song. Take my life and let it be number 405. Number 405. Take my life and let it be. Sing it unto the Lord and mean it unto the Lord. Number 405.